This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Like a warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, I believe. And uh, I'll see myself in a moment to confirm that. But uh, this is call-in Friday. I see the phone line here on my screen now uh, depicted, and I'm sure I'll soon see myself. The uh, Nolan Law Studio is the big supporter of us, and we are in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside. We say the Nolan Law Studio, protected by, of course, Crime Prevention 24-7-365, and all the other good sponsors. And I'm going to try to look for myself here. I always go through this little hunting game in the morning to see if I can run my own image down on the screen and see who's calling in or checked in. Um, dada, dada, dada. Bear with me a moment and uh, we'll see if I come up with anything. Well, not yet. Anyway. Uh, can you fix it? So I see myself production, please. Um, perhaps we'll do that in a moment. Are we there? Are we there? Is anybody there? Okay. I see myself now. Hello, Jeff Moser. Hello, Larry Nagel. Hey, I got it. I've got it. I've got it. So we are all together here this morning on the Friday. My golly, I'll get into the weather here in a little bit, but we have surely had a weather change, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And you better prepare in our neck of the woods anyway for some more uh, things to happen that you need to uh Oh, you know, protect everything with pipes and that sort of stuff. Well, we start out with local uh, material here first because we're one of the shows that covers it pretty intensely. And I try to stay up on it. And there's some things that, of course, have been uh, talked about for quite a while in the community. It's come out now. And the issue is, morning, Jody, the issue is background checks right now I want to talk about. And um, let me just say, generally, I'm in favor of getting people to work. Uh, if the background check is onerous and it's unnecessarily uh, applied or unfairly applied, um, then probably we, we need to take another look at it, which apparently we've done here in Gainesville. We got to get people to work. That's number one. On the other hand, you've got to balance that against being able to hire a person without that person being uh, perhaps a liability to your company, but I think there's enough that can be built into the contractual agreements that that can be understood up front. The background check has undergone a kind of uh, erosion, if you will, from those of uh, those who think it ought to be just really stringent and all omniscient and all-knowing to rather more reasonable, if you will, for those who think it's uh, too punitive. Uh, once upon a time, uh, background checks read, I'm familiar with these at the college, for example, uh, where I was the Senate president. The background checks read, have you ever been arrested? Well, 
You know, a lot of people, believe it or not, get arrested and the arrest was really, for lack of a better term, let's just say, a misuse of the behavior of the law enforcement agency. It was a, an arrest which um, right away, in many, many instances, is recognized as arrest that wasn't really necessary. And so it doesn't even get charged. It doesn't even, the state, the state attorney doesn't even take it up. There are instances like that. But under the old questioning system, have you ever been arrested? That's still there. And there's no notation of that. It was uh, kind of a bogus arrest. It was really a, a misapplied use of the behavior by law enforcement, which does happen. And, and but it's yet there on the on the on the record. Then and I, I think this was a good step. It went not to ask, have you ever been uh, arrested? Uh, but have you ever been convicted? Now, that's a little different because uh, we know of that there's all sorts of ways to work deals with uh, the state attorneys that prevent you from being, quote unquote, convicted. There's adjudication withheld. There's all sorts of community service things. Um, short of standing up in the courtroom and say, saying, oh, I did it. Uh, you know, a, a, a good lawyer could probably get that, quote unquote, kind of watered down. So it, it, it went to have you ever been convicted, which is a little less uh, um, uh, applicable in terms of finding out what you're hiring. Um, so then it, it, it has gone from there to now, apparently, let's just not ask at all. And let's just give people a chance. Now, let me give you another example of a, of a, of a school board hire. I know of a school had a principal that was very adamant about not hiring people with criminal records. Now, what defines a criminal record? Well, that's what's under discussion here. Is it the arrest? Is it the charge? Is it the conviction? What is it? Um, so this principal was very uh, uh, positive about, you know, about not hiring anybody with criminal uh, background, criminal background, which is what we're trying to define here. Well, eventually it became necessary to, because there were so few people who wanted to do what this job description was asking um, the principal to find a person to do, it was as an aide in a classroom uh, that the teacher, uh, a, an aide was hired that was actually had a criminal record. Now, the criminal record is an interesting definition. It was for driving without a license. Well, you know, I'm on Crime Stoppers and you see mug shots on our wardscottfiles.com. We post an enormous number of you see them and check down there. You'll see every once in a while the mug shot of somebody who was arrested for driving without a license and booked into the county jail. It is a crime. So the question becomes for this principal who couldn't really have any, for lack of alternatives, hired this, in this case, young lady in her mid-20s to be an aide who had this one blotch, if you will, on her record, which was driving without a license. And the end of the story here has a happy ending. The, the, the lady was a wonderful aide, a magnificent uh, a hire. But had the principal 
been given options, that is to say, had the principal been able to find somebody without, quote unquote, a criminal record, uh, then this young lady who was hired would never have had a chance. It was only because of a lack of options, really, that this principal uh, made this hire. And lo and behold, the hire turned out to be an excellent hire. And the criminal transgression turned out to be driving without a driver's license. Uh, I had the feeling that there are all sorts of people we are driving next to in these uh, highways who don't have licenses. Even worse than that, they don't have insurance. And that's what's misleading about some of the advertisements you see. So-and-so got me hundreds of thousands of dollars. You only get those hundreds of thousands of dollars from the insured. There's nothing to get from the uninsured. <clears throat> so the whole definition of a criminal background has really gradations in it, does it not? Uh, the limit on this, I suppose now, is up to the employer. And many times, I'm sure that what we're talking about here is the employer, through a lack of alternatives, has to sort of close their eyes and hire somebody they wouldn't have hired otherwise. But quite often, given the opportunity, that hire turns out to be a great hire. So the bottom line after having examining all this, I, I'm all for people working. Uh, I think there's more crime, if you will, and how we define crime is an interesting term, by people who abuse food stamps and abuse, I mean, there's all the other government handouts. And I have a friend who may be listening to the show right now, I don't know, who was a, a, a food stamp beep investigator. And uh, the stories that this person could tell are amazing. Uh, the amount of money that uh, people really steal from the government. But there's never any criminal rap sheet, if you will, for that behavior. And they get away uh, scot-free uh, in our culture and perhaps are uh, worse than um, um, anything we've seen from somebody driving without a license. And the calling lines open the day I welcome my friend who watches all the time to comment on this um, as to what really is the nature of, of uh, background checks and criminality and particularly when it comes to the definition of it and what behavior constitutes it. Of course, we have the extreme examples, do we not, of the murder. But, you know, we have murderers out walking around us. You would think a murderer is locked up forever. A murderer is not necessarily locked up forever. Um, uh, you know, I've got a chat line here that is um, maybe maybe my friend can call in and talk about this in a little bit. But uh, this is a very interesting subject. Uh, might put the call in line number up on the screen uh, production so that people remember it. They don't uh, necessarily remember it unless you put it in the chat line, please. Um, the um, so the definition of this is really undergoing a kind of revision or uh, um, another look. Now, it, you know, it's, it's curious about uh, 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 all this business of uh, behavior. There's one school of thought that the leopard never changes its spots. You've heard that school of thought. And there's the other school of thought is that uh, you have to give people um, the right to, to change and to recognize their behavior. So uh, and my bottom line in terms of, is, uh, of this is whether or not uh, 
uh, we get people to work. And then it's up to the employer and the person whom the employer hire. And the story I gave in the case of the principal uh, turned out to be a very good hire. But it wouldn't have been had there been somebody else who perhaps didn't have a criminal background, but wasn't nearly as good a worker. So uh, that was a very interesting discussion uh, that uh, has been going on in the community and has been going on in several uh, places, of course, in the society. Uh, of course, the worst uh, way to treat this is to look at the court system, which doesn't seem to hold anybody much accountable for anything until it just gets so out of hand that you have to remove them from society is one way a lot of people look at it. So um, it's uh, it is um, a, a discussion worth having locally and nationally, I suppose. The other thing that's happened locally are uh, the, uh, the student guidelines. Call in line here. Uh, I'm not sure that's the right call in line. I think it's a different call in line. Uh, I think it's a 707 number production, but maybe you know more than I do. Whatever. Um, there's a call in number. Production knows more than I do. I thought it was a 707 number. But anyway, uh, the, the other thing that's undergoing some uh, revision here, strictly because of pressure from DeSantis, is the pushback on this obsession with indoctrination into the woke values of human beings' lives. It's, uh, it, it has been going on, as you know, in every aspect of our culture. Uh, somehow it got uh, legs and started walking around everywhere, um, restrooms and and, you know, it really got to the place where a lot of people are tired of hearing about it. But uh, here locally, um, my golly, the school board recognizes that it gets federal dollars, it gets state dollars, and it depends on those dollars uh, to run itself. And so uh, they have been, I, I have no other way to look at it other than to say that DeSantis has instituted pressures that are trying to bring these school boards back into some reasonable balance about um, when to instruct young people and what to instruct them of. And the uh, agenda item here that has certainly found itself in the crosshairs of DeSantis' scrutiny is the district's LGBTQ XYZ critical support guide. Um, you know, of all things to be, I've been in the profession for 40 years, of all things to be discussing, uh, this is the last thing it, I would think has any place in a discussion uh, in a classroom. Um, that's not, I can remember, can't you remember your first, second, third grades? I mean, I was struggling to uh, get those things uh, under my belt so I could master the skills in those uh, courses, those classes, like the alphabet and, you know, the, the basic things that I would need to build thinking with. And so I, I think the, the uh, Lancho County uh, LGBTQ XYZ critical support guide has has been found to have elements that are violating the law. And um, the of course, you know the issue. What's the gender from the biological sex at birth? Uh, there it is. There's the number 352-707-9101. I don't think it's changed, Plantation Mark. 352-707-9101. The, uh, the, the, the whole concept of parents being able to have a say-so 
in what their uh, students are, their children are taught, certainly is very strong in the elementary grades. It's when you really form the foundation. Now, parental involvement alone is tremendously valued. I know a lot of elementary school grade teachers, preschool teachers and all, who lament the fact they have all too many children who come to school without any parental uh, guidance. They don't know their, I mean, really, I'm gonna tell you some story, they don't know their names, uh, they've never been read to, uh, they're already using profanities, uh, they're already, they already know about sex because they've seen their mother in front of them uh, with a man. Uh, you know, that's, that's the type of thing that really irks the preschool and kindergarten and young elementary school uh, instructors because uh, then you've got a home that's not a home and when you have a home that's not a home with values, then you've got problematic children being uh, brought to school that all of a sudden uh, you got to deal with. And that is really the only practical conversation about sex that I've ever heard the teachers talk about with the preschool and the first grade and those people coming to school is that these kids are coming to school having seen already at home a lot of promiscuity in front of their eyes. It's not about look down and see what you got for them. It's about them already uh, being exposed to uh, things that even shouldn't be private among adults. So this whole world of LGBTQ is, I think, rightfully being uh, reviewed as misguided. Let's just say it. It's ironic. It says support guide. It's misguided. If it wants to really have a discussion about sex, let's go back into the homes, if you want to call them that, where a lot of these kids come from that are never going to have a fighting chance in the system to start with because they've had no home. Uh, they've had no mother and father. Uh, I mean, I can tell you horror stories about this that I've heard from these teachers who have to deal with this all the time. Um, so this whole business of the school board getting involved with guides on how students identify with different genders from their biological birth is a bunch of crap. It's nothing to do with what really is going on out there that will help these people uh, get a, a good start in school. Let's go start with the home and let's go start with the values in the home and how those parents, question mark, exclamation mark, are sending these young people to class. Are they prepared? You know, when I was in military school, the ranking cadet officer, uh, whenever the professor uh, entered the room, the ranking cadet officer called the uh, class to attention. He said, class, attention. And, buddy, you heard 20 heels click simultaneously. Pop. You didn't hear one a pop that was slow. They all popped together. And uh, then the ranking cadet officer uh, did, did an about face and saluted the, the professor and said, Sir, class ready for instruction. Class present and ready for instruction. Well, in other words, the professor was not even going to begin until the class was ready for instruction. And then the ranking cadet officer would uh, do an about face and say, class, seats. 
and you'd hear all the butts hit those seats simultaneously. You've never heard one that was slow or out of step. Pow! They all hit simultaneously. And we were ready for instruction. And we don't have that. These kids coming to class in the elementary schools need to be ready for instruction. That's what the guides need to be. Have you prepared your uh, child for instruction? And thank goodness we've got somebody who has called uh, these superintendents on the carpet and called these school boards on the carpet and said, listen, let's get back to what really matters here. If we're going to work on a guide, let's work on a guide that teaches parents. Let's send that guide home to teach whoever produced the child and sent it to school how to prepare that child for instruction. And that means, have you read to the child? Does the child even know its name? A lot of them don't even know its, their name. And they may be called by some nickname or something. They don't even know their last name. Um, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, um, I mean, but, you know, I'm not there on the front line of the elementary school. And that's where the real heroes are. That's where our heroes are. Those teachers who take uh, instruction and, and, and with those students when they come in preschool and, and, and elementary, that's where it really is. That's where it is all about. By the time they got to me at the, univer at the university or the college, uh, we had a whole different rapport with the students. We have something called the Buckley Amendment. And I remember uh, a mother called me one time in my office and asked me how her son was doing in class. And I had to politely reply to her, ma'am, I can't tell you. And she said, what do you mean? Uh, we pay for his education. I said, well, yes, but you have to understand this. If you pay for his education, you should have your, and this, is the, this was the law, you have to have your, a copy of your income tax on file in our records and admissions office. And in that income tax form, it should show that you claim your son or daughter as a dependent. And I said, by the way, you can't put that, you can't put that income tax file there yourself. Your son or daughter has to request that it be put there. So you can't do it. And then this interesting because the whole idea then, by the time this person reached a college, was that it's now a person on its own responsible for its own behavior, notwithstanding who pays for it. So if, however, the income tax form showed that the parents claimed this child or student as a dependent, well, then that student uh, had given the right of his parents to ask me what, how he was doing in school. As it turned out, this child student was an individual person. There was no income tax form on file in the records and admissions. And I had to call, uh, tell the lady that I can't talk to you because this is the rule. Um, it, it's a curious, interesting story about that because um, uh, the, the, and I agree with you on that, Ray, uh, there's an interesting story about that. That that that's that student um, uh, was partying. He was a likable fellow, very very engaging personality, but he failed my course. Actually, 
a, a student doesn't fail my course and the student work is such that I give it the grade that the student did, that the student gave itself. In other words, your behavior is re, is uh, recognized by a certain grade. So I don't really grade you. you. You, in effect, grade yourself by your performance, and I give you the grade you earned. So he failed the course. I knew he would because he never did the work. He never did it on time. But he came to class. He was a great kid. I really liked him. But he couldn't do any of the work. Well, I figured that was the last I would see of him. And um, next quarter, I'll be darned if he didn't turn up in my class again. And I said to my friend, let's call him Joe. I said, Joe, you failed this course with me once. What are you doing here again? He said, I just like you. I wanted to take the course again. He said, I finally got, got interested in what you're saying. He said, I really am interested in that dot squiggly. And I said, dot squiggly. There's nothing in the grammar book, by the way, known as a dot squiggly. So I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, oh, you know, that thing that has a dot and underneath it, a, a line, a curly. Well, he was talking about the semicolon. Well, the semicolon is a, an advanced piece of punctuation. Very a lot, of, a lot of people don't know how to properly use the semicolon. And it, it kind of piqued my curiosity and interest that this guy, something like that, triggered his interest in the course, the sophisticated conversations about the use of the semicolon, which he had paraphrased into his own language, which was fine, the dot squiggly. I've always remembered that dot squiggly. Well, it has a happy ending. He graduated from the course this next time uh, with a very good grade. And that was the last I saw of him. And years later, I was uh, of all places in the gym working out and he came around a piece of machinery. He'd already graduated from college and graduates. He was back home for, I guess, some sort of uh, holiday. And I said, my golly, you know, what have you been doing? He says, oh, he says, you know, I really liked your course. I said, well, you should. You took it twice. And he said, no. He says, I really learned how important it was to know language. He said, I went to college and got uh, a major in, 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 in Japanese. I said, Japanese? I said, that simulation system is not even the same alphabetic uh, system that we use. We go left to right, and they go with different images completely. I don't have a clue. You could, you, I would fail Japanese. And I said, what are you doing now? Well, he was in Japan as the international manager for IBM uh, at that time in Japan with a heck of a job, making about five times as much as I made. And he failed the course twice. Well, failed once and then passed it the next time and learned all about the world and got interested in it through the dot squiggly. And I was never once able to tell his mother about that because he was protected by the Buckley Amendment. It's a heck of a story. I mean, it really is. I've never forgotten it. And uh, uh, if I ever write a grammar book, I might write, call it dot squiggly. I mean, what it really shows is you never know uh, when you're teaching. And this is, I consider a class. You never know when you're teaching what piques someone's interest, what lights a fire in them. You know, a lot of them 
a lot of you out there, some of you know out there that Tom Petty was my student at one time. And it was when I was teaching 11th grade English at Janesville High when I first started out. And Tom was one of my students. And uh, I, I, you know, once upon a time I was asked by his, and I'll say this publicly because everybody knows it pretty much around here. I was asked by his cousin, Sadie Darnell, who was the sheriff at the time and went to Gainesville High, whom I've known for a long time, uh, what I remembered about Tom Petty as a, uh, as a student. And I said, Sadie, nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, really, in a way, I mean, Tom, I remember him being a practical joker and, and um, a good fellow and fun to be around, but I don't remember him uh, being on the honor roll or anything like that or being the brightest kid in the class. But years later, I'm talking about as recently as oh, four or five years ago, uh, a fellow here in the community came to me and said that he had learned from a, 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 a classmate of Tom Petty's in those days um, that uh, this, this man, this classmate was now, of course, in, a, uh, in his elder years. And uh, he had told this guy who came to me, he said, you know, uh, this gentleman, I'll call him. Tom, no, I can't call him, I'll call him Bill. Bill came to me and said that uh, he was Tom Petty's best friend in high school in Ward's class, and that Tom had given him the assignment of coming and waking him up. Tom slept in his car uh, from playing in the clubs at night, of giving him a cup of coffee. Uh, Bill was to give Tom a cup of coffee and wake him up to make sure, uh, Tom told him, make sure I don't miss Ward's class. I, mean, I never knew that. I never knew that. I mean, so you never know. You just keep teaching. You don't know. I mean, I never knew that. God bless him. You know, I never knew Dot Squiggly would uh, get this guy going and he would become incredibly successful and learn Japanese. You just never know. So let's stay on the course here. Let's stay off these study guides for sexuality and kids that don't even know their last name when they come to school. Let's put the priorities where they belong. Let's do what's sensible and reasonable and do the job of helping people get skills that help them compete in society, including let the background checks go until they uh, mess up again. Give them another chance. I think that probably is reasonable as well. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, 
you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. The warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Good morning, good morning. Uh, we're back here now. We have a call on the line for the call on the line. <coughs> we chat with, we'll do wards weather with compliments of Lewis Oil. And I got to tell you, my friends, it's 41 degrees here on my computer, and it's going to be down 37 tonight. So get your fireplace if you got one and get ready for even colder weather. We have got the, um, the, um, the effects of a big Arctic blast that's dipping down across this entire country and bringing this cold weather all the way down here to us. Now, of course, I always lament this because once we have frost on the grass, we have pretty much finished with the cattle. Uh, uh, doing anything with the with we have to start really hauling hay then. So this is the big news around here too, right now. Uh, this blizzard is hauling traffic across the northern plains. It's going to be bitterly cold. This air coming down and giving a deep freeze to most of the nation. Uh, if you are one who likes cold weather and Christmas and all that business, you're going to get it. I don't think we're going to get snow, but next week uh, possibly we could have a cold uh, spell and also have some. Some uh, real uh, 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 possibility of a little rain that will become snow. So uh, get ready for that. Uh, we've got prepare yourself pipes and all the all the above by Monday uh, when we come back on the air with you. We might have experienced a pretty chilly weekend. But we're back here on the air now. We have a caller, and it's been a caller I've been wanting to talk to for a while because my caller friend has a lot of experience with um, what we've been talking about here. Uh, what really is uh, the criminality of uh, going on in our culture and is it being caught? Is it being done? Is it systematically happening pretty pretty much all the time? Ray, welcome to Word Scott Files. Hey, good morning, Ward. Uh, first, a little plug for GTR. Are you going to go uh, train today with me? Well, I don't know, bud. We'll talk about that when the show's over. <laughs> okay. now, you plug GTR, though. Shoot GTR is one of our great sponsors. They, they certainly are. It's a great place to go. Well, what have you been doing that you uh, have on your mind here? I know you have a have a, had a lot of experience with. Um, um, we have to remember to use the beep word. We don't want to bring the uh, tech sensors down. Right, and they've already come. <laughs> you're on the air, Ray. <laughs> okay, um, what is it that you're asking for? Well, I was asking you about your experience with food stamp beep. Oh, I got you. Well, as you know, I used to work for the Inspector General for Agriculture. 
and we'd investigate uh, food stamp fraud all beep. over the state. Uh, beep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. beep. We'd investigate food stamp beep all over the state and all over the country. <laughs> but for a good part of my career, I investigated food stamp fraud in Miami, Florida. Beep. And, um, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I investigated food stamp beep down in Miami, Florida. And at the time, Miami, Florida alone, its uh, monthly food stamp budget was about $50 million. Um, I did some research, and the uh, food stamp benefits now across the country are almost $8 billion, and that's not including your indirect cost of, uh, you know, food stamp workers and offices and uh, utilities and what have you, okay? Um, the three major ways that fraud is committed is, number one, can, can you individual. Stop? Okay, That's ah, right. man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> The three major ways that people obtain food stamps illegally is, number one, by not disclosing all of their income or uh, their household circumstances, uh, i.e. by um, uh, declaring children that they don't have or declaring relatives' children living with them, uh, not declaring that um, another adult, usually a man and a woman, uh, are living together and they are not declaring the man's income. Or they get their stamps and they sell their stamps. You know, for instance, uh, a guy gets uh, $800 a month with a family of four. And that month he needs some money to, you know, maybe fix up his car or his house. So he sells 400 of those food stamps for 200 either to a usually a privately owned grocery store or to food stamp traffickers, which I dealt with quite a bit. Uh, those are people that will pay you anywhere 50 to 75 cents on the dollar. Um, they, you know, buy food stamps for people that have, have obtained them either illegally or somewhat illegally by the methods I described. Uh, they will buy them and then sell them to a crooked grocery store, maybe for 90 cents on the dollar, and they'll pay you 75 cents. You might say, well, why is it worth 90 cents on the dollar to the grocery store? Well, because for every thousand dollars they turn in uh they're making a hundred dollars profits right i mean they paid 900 for the stamps the stamps are worth a thousand as far as the fraud that is caught very little of it is caught ward um i used to uh we, we went after uh mostly the uh stores and the individual traffickers we didn't mess with the recipients that much Although we did do a lot of it just to make our presence known, and those people got their benefits either reduced or canceled, but very seldomly were they prosecuted. Although the feds could prosecute them, and state statutes, Florida state statutes, uh, they can be prosecuted under those. But at least back then, the federal prosecutors were really not interested in anything that didn't have narcotics in it. They really did. Sometimes I closed down a uh, uh, a grocery store that turned in a million bucks in food stamps in any one given fiscal year. And I'd go to the store, and, you know, it barely had uh, 12 uh, sandwiches, a couple of candy bars, a bunch of cigarettes and beer. Uh, and then I would go ahead and try and uh, get the guys to buy stamps for me, and they usually would. But uh, some of those were prosecuted, but even those, uh, the federal attorneys really didn't really want to do much. 
and uh, the state attorneys. You know, food stamp fraud is not given the priority that it should be. And the fact is, it can amount to thousands of dollars, even on the recipient level. I mean, if you've been collecting stamps for a couple of years and collecting, well, I don't know, five, six hundred dollars more a month than you're, you know, allowed, that's thousands of dollars, you know, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, some of those people are prosecuted. Usually, the only thing that happens is that their benefits are terminated. Um, what you're what's going on now, I can't tell you. It sounds as if you're saying a crime pays here, uh, Ray. I mean, to a large extent, they've figured out a way to um, do something that the government really doesn't have either the will or the resources or the interest in in, in pursuing. Um, it never shows up on a rap sheet, I suppose. Is there any way you're, uh, you know, very seldomly would one of these people to, to, to uh, tie this into the background check you a background check on somebody who has uh, been practicing food stamp B, um, you wouldn't you wouldn't know it because it's never been brought to the judge, right? Yeah, you'd only know it if they were arrested and prosecuted. You're absolutely right. And that's um, a small percentage. You know right? what the government did? I'm sorry. That's a small they percentage, have... correct? That's a uh, very what's a small percentage? Oh, a very who... small percentage was prosecuted. Yeah, very small. Yeah. Very small. I mean, you know, we had, uh, I don't know, five or six investigators in Florida, you know, maybe around the country. There are a couple of hundred, you know, tens of thousands, maybe a million people getting food stamps, probably well, well over a million people in Florida getting food stamps. I don't know how many people live here, but, you know, probably at least a third of them get it. And again, uh, what they did several years ago was they went to the SNAP program, Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, which is a fancy term for food stamps because they thought food stamps sounded uh, just a little bit uh, uh, derogatory, I guess. Or um, They went to a, an electronic benefit card, so it is a little harder to traffic an electronic benefit card. I mean, you can't sell half of it. You'd have to sell it all. Or you could give it to somebody and let them use it uh, for a certain amount and get it back. But it, it's a lot harder to sell those things um, than it was food stamps. Food stamps actually, as you know, were stamps. They came in uh, 5 10 20 and I think $50 denominations. So they're gone. And back then, there was no accountability for the stamps. Even though each stamp was serialized and had a serial number, once it left the uh, Food Nutritional Services, uh, center, um, stamps were dropped off in large boxes to the uh, different districts that ordered them. However, they, they were not recorded by serial number. They were just recorded by dollar amount. There's no way of uh, tracing food stamps except for the ones that we marked and then, you know, followed them through the system. Well, that's a, that's, this is just one area of the state, too, that you work, as I understand, that's South Florida. And I can imagine there's quite a bit of concentration of that. Does it, it's, um, to go back and summarize what I think I heard you say, uh, one of the ways in which people inflate or deceive the country into thinking they need them is by claiming they have more children than they have and more. Can you just go over that again? That seems very interesting. You went through that rather quickly. 
Well, how do most people? Well, what they do is they let me put this right. If I wanted to cheat, give me a, a quick tutorial on how I would do it. Well, you probably couldn't cheat because there there are income verification checks. No, I mean you know hypothetical, um, not me necessarily, but okay, okay. Yeah. If somebody wanted to cheat, and I'm not suggesting anybody do this, but what they do is inflate the number of people that are in the household, and uh, you know you you'd uh, declare that uh, it's a little harder. I mean, I think they do require certain verifications, I don't know what they are now, of who's in your household. But you would say that you had more children than you had, or you would uh, present children, maybe even bring them with you, that belong to somebody else. Uh, And also you would uh, understate income that was not reportable, that you didn't have a W-2 or 1099 for, you know, under the table work. And also you usually, usually this is a woman having a man with enough income that they would not be eligible or they'd be eligible for a much lesser benefit living with them and not declaring that, not declaring that person living in the household. Gotcha. Gotcha. So there go their, uh, their gross income would be greatly understated. Well, you know, it's amazing to me how people learn how to scam the system, isn't it? I mean, that's a, uh... You know, if they just learn the, the, the dot squiggly as easily as they learn how to scam the system. Uh, I don't think yeah, it's, it's, got yeah, that's a, huh? it's a pro, it's a program that's rife with fraud. But I want to bring up another point related to this. There's eight billion dollars uh, approximately in food stamps every year. So let's just say I just said the hell of it. Let's say that two billion of it is fraud. That is one day's service on the national debt. You realize the national debt increases by almost $2 billion a day. It's a million dollars every 30 seconds. So it's uh, $120 million every minute. You know, I, I've done the math on this. Uh, it's almost $2 billion a day. And that's fiat money, as we know, which has absolutely no value. It's not backed by any commodity or any item of any any item with intrinsic value it's just the full faith and credit of the united states government it's it's really scary when you think about it i mean a national debt that rose since bill clinton was in office the national debt was about four billion clinton had a balanced budget one year he 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 really did but that didn't mean that we didn't have a national debt it just meant that he didn't add to the national debt that year every president since has added to it when obama left office it was 10 trillion and now it's 30 something trillion dollars and of course this new uh debt reduction act or whatever it's called that's that's a farce uh that's just adding more fiat money to the system it infuriates me because i've worked a lifetime to save up money <laughs> and any given day that money could be valueless yeah yeah i remember the scary story of uh what brought the wars about in germany was that uh, it took finally a wheelbarrow of money to go get a loaf of bread and yeah that was after world war one weimar germany you're, you're right yeah and the weimar, weimar yeah, republic yeah, and we see this in uh, South America now. We see just, uh, you know, 
the value of whatever currency they claim is um, the national currency is, is worthless. So you see crime, you see um, all sorts of, and, and you know, it, it's ha crime has to go hand in hand with this. Ray, you and I talk about this, but uh, you know, there's not enough wiggle room in many, many of the employers' pocketbooks right now to keep employees paid and still charge on the other end of the uh, continuum money from customers to compensate for the what the employer employees need to just get by with inflation. And you're beginning to see this, particularly in the restaurant industry. Uh, restaurants are going to start going out of business. Um, they can't raise. I agree, Ward. Huh? I totally agree. We were Brian and I were talking about that the other day. They cannot raise their prices enough uh, to uh, correlate to their cost of inventory of, of food. It, yeah, a couple well, of restaurants that we frequent that we frequent regularly have gone up twenty percent. Yeah, yeah, it it can't. You know, maybe it, a little of it is gouging. It, it something is not. It's going to not going to, um, you know, keep going on like that. It, and particularly the people are taking for granted that they, uh, you know, I know one restaurant here which uh, uses strictly farm to table, tries to uh, buy its product from local farmers. But I'm telling you, um, I'm, you know me, where I am here with the hay and all that, uh, the price of diesel up over $5, the price of fer fertilizer, and you can't get it back in the price of the beef that eats the, the hay that's grown, uh, harvested by the tractor. So uh, what's going to happen, I have a story here I'm not going to get to today, I don't think, that particularly in uh, southern Florida where uh, we have got God's given uh, to us the ability in Florida to grow grass. And so we've had huge cattle ranches, and uh, but they're becoming so un untenable that they're, they're given over to the bulldozer. Forbes has a big article on this, and they're going to be housing as these people pour out of parts of the country where uh, they can't live because the cost of living there is already too high. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I really thank uh, you for calling in, Ray. We've been having this discussion for a long time. Anything else you want to add before we uh, move on? Uh, no, sir. Uh, just uh, remember to practice at GTR because one of these days you may need it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Actually, that's you. not funny. But true. Yeah. I'll uh, talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you, sir. Thank you for calling in. Ray Stern, a longtime Thank friend you. of mine, who um, is a uh, pretty darn fast with numbers, uh, having been in the accounting world and having been in the food stamp investigation world in South Florida uh, for quite some time, and gives a sober picture here, does he not, of, of really um, deceiving um, the government and getting away with it. There's no telling how much of this is going on as we uh, have people like uh, Congress and the president, all these just signing paychecks uh, to these uh, institutions without any accountability for uh, assets to back them up, uh, signing money off for this and money off for that. And they have no idea. I mean, they have no, there's nothing holding it together. And we keep hoping that one day we don't wake up and everything that we have now that we've been taking, and boy, I, I tell you, one thing you need to reckon with in this world is 
examine your assumptions once in a while and make sure you understand that they're just that. They're just assumptions and, and nothing else. There's uh, uh, things that you have chosen to, to believe are constants, and uh, there's no guarantee that they're constants just because you think they are. And this is this is a, a right, what, one of the most scariest places in is in uh, retirement funds where people are uh, and, and Florida has done a tremendous job in keeping its uh, assets for retirees uh, in the black. Um, they have not fallen for uh, the, the pressure uh, from these woke people to uh, do away with uh, investments in stock that fossil fuels, for example. I mean, it's all kinds of pressure from these woke people who have, by the way, if you go examine them, they're not business people themselves, but they're telling you on the basis of ideology how to run your business. Um, um, uh, so, and I think Lloyd is right about this. The currency is really illegitimate counterfeit fiat issued by the government. Um, you know, I don't know, Lloyd, though, what we do about it. That's, that's, we've talked with this with Ted Yoho. We've talked with this. You know, you can put pressure on your representatives and senators and these things, um, but they have to go up and sit in amongst the committees. Uh, it's a, such a complicated um, um, system, not the system we think runs the country. We think you elect the president and you elect your local uh, congressperson or senator. It's really the staff and we the, what has been called the deep state. It's That's really where it's going on. And of course, at the uh, uh, committee level, um, there there are so many things that are uh, just just to take one uh, story here uh, that I was going to bring up. That we have very good uh, a very good uh, conversation with our our, our listener Ray Stern. Um, I alluded to uh, 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 around Lakeland and Winter Haven, uh, which has heretofore been. Uh, a place where uh, the Detroit Tigers came for spring training at Lakeland. Uh, the Boston Red Sox even uh, uh, came and uh, they would come down and, and um, winter down here. And, and that was the way in which these camps worked. And the rest of the year, places like Lakeland, Winter Haven, which is a nice name. I've always liked that Winter Haven is a kind of a sleepy bedroom community uh, to the to the bigger cities. Um, and now, Lakeland, Winter Haven are in Polk County. And the article from which I'm uh, um, uh, sharing this with you is in Forbes magazine. And these have always been sort of relaxed rural places. Uh, but now, unfortunately, Polk County is Florida's fastest growing county and the fifth fastest growing county in the United States. Its proximity to Tampa on Orlando has got the developers chomping at the bit. Uh, there, the developers uh, have the prospect of acquiring a lot of affordable land uh, to build homes. Uh, there have been more than 13,000 building permits approved in Polk County last year alone. And in uh, the Polk County city of Lake Wales, no fewer than 30 projects now are in the stages of approval. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the issue here is um, uh, the infrastructure is making these places accessible. And indeed, 
DeSantis has just waived, I think rightfully so, uh, the tolls for regular users. Uh, remember yesterday I alluded to how tolls on the Sunshine Parkway started out at a dollar ten. I don't have any idea what they are now because I haven't been on Sunshine Parkway in years. Uh, I'm sure they've at least ten times that much. Um, so, um, but when you paradoxically relieve these tolls, you encourage uh, some sort of development. And um, just in uh, uh, the, around Lake Wales, a development firm purchased 1,100 acres. Uh, we're going to have a master plan community. Uh, uh, all the infrastructure there uh, is going to be higher priced starter of the higher higher priced homes. Um, and you have to understand the higher priced home is relative because where these people are coming from, uh, the real estate was much more expensive. So it's not like quite going to Mexico where you can really stretch your dollar, but you can come here and stretch your dollar, say, from New York uh, to here. If you pick out these areas that like Polk County and areas like that have been really uh, ruled for the most part up until recently. But, you know, there's a lot of things that have kind of put it out of rural farming, freezes, disease, storms, um, NAFTA uh, really has forced farmers into piecemeal operations and they can't sustain uh, uh, this particular season's harvest of citrus is uh, uh, is projected to be the smallest since 1943. So this is what's going on in our area here of, of this part of the country, part of the world. And um, it's I don't think it's going to get any better. I don't think we're going to turn the corner. In fact, I think you'll see it accelerate all of this. Meanwhile, people are trying to figure out the magic bullet for affordable homes. Uh, I think affordable homes went the way of the trailer park uh, and trailers. You know, that was that was affordable. A lot of people. Uh, did did uh, live that way. Plantation Mark, stay warm. You're going to be colder than we are. Try to hunker down and get ready for a Siberian blast and uh, have a great weekend. I think the Gators play from crying out loud in Las Vegas. That'll keep your attention for a while. Have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.